0: And uh, in a moment, I'm going to be reading from the book of Psalms. And so if you want to get a Bible and open to Psalm 103, um, if you're not in the habit of of reading along with me, I encourage you to do that this morning because we have several verses that we'll be looking at in Psalm 103. And if you need a Bible, there's a few of them over here. They'll be glad to hand that to you. Um, One of the things that I sometimes hear from Sherry with respect to Who I am and how I do what I do is, um, gosh, you're so serious. Uh, Can you lighten up a little bit? Can you ever say something kind of on the humorous side? And um, occasionally something like that happens by accident, but uh, (laughs) kind of like that. And the rest of the story is, uh, no, I can't really, uh, because... Um, The person of Christ is very serious to me. And the matter of faith and following Him and becoming full in my devotion to Him is very serious to me. And the matter of our walking together and full devotion becoming your reality is very serious to me. And today's topic is very serious to me. And so uh, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions as we get started. And the first is this, to whom are you listening? I think this is an important question for you to answer for yourself because it has everything to do with the inclinations of response that will come uh, throughout. For if, in fact, I am just a speaker, if I am just a teacher... Then uh, you get to just kind of sit back, listen to some teaching and kind of weigh it, take it or leave it, that kind of thing. And that, you know, we always have people with that mindset in here. Um, But if, in fact, I am a messenger from God with a message from God, then there is a weightiness to what you will be hearing and your response will not be to me to take or leave. your response will be to him and whether or not to obey which leads me in the second question will you do whatever God asks you to do now what I'm going to ask you to do I may articulate a few questions that I think he's asking but ultimately it's a matter of your own heart your own conviction Uh, whether you can comprehend, this is God asking me. And so the question up front is, will you do whatever He asks you to do? And you go, well, it kind of depends. Then I want to suggest to you, when you respond, it kind of depends. You have placed yourself above God. Because ultimately you're saying, if it's something I want to do, I will. If it's something I don't want to do, I won't. And I would submit to you, placing yourself above God is a very dangerous, very scary place to be. Have I sufficiently raised the temperature? So, we're going to be looking at Psalm 103. And as I said, it's a lengthy psalm. We're talking today about how God moves and works in us with great compassion and thereby calls us to be people of compassion. And um, I'm going to ask you to do this reading with me responsively. And here's what I'm going to ask and suggest that you do, whether you're reading it or you're just listening. Every time there is a reference to the person of God the promise of God, or the work of God, I'm going to encourage you to give a biblical response, which is, Amen. And uh, as most of you know, the word Amen simply means, yes, let it be so. So, as I begin to read, and you hear those references either to His person or His promise or His performance in our midst then uh, if you'll respond with an amen. Praise the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being, praise His holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Forget not all His benefits. Who forgives all your sins. Who heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit. Who crowns you with love and compassion. Who satisfies your desires with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known His ways to Moses. He made known His deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it. It is gone and its place remembers no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him. His righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep His covenant and remember to obey His precepts. The Lord has established His throne in heaven. His kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you His angels, you mighty ones who do His bidding, who obey His Word. Praise the Lord, all His heavenly hosts, you His servants who do His will. Praise the Lord, all His works everywhere in His dominion. Praise the Lord, O my soul. All right. Now, if you took note, that psalm, which is one of the great psalms in the Bible, is encased with two bookends. And both of those are the same. It begins and ends with our praising the Lord with all our soul. And then there's this long list why we are so full of praise and so full of thanksgiving and so full of awe and wonder at Him because of the way He works on our midst, because of His mercy, because of His grace, because of His forgiveness, because of all of His provisions, on and on it goes. But kind of hidden right there in the middle of that is this reference to His compassion. And the text talks about His compassion being like a father. How does one live out God's compassion? He said, like your father has been compassionate to you, so is God compassionate to us. Now, that's not to say God models His compassionate ways with us after our fathers. Rather, He says if you had a father that was compassionate, that's because He got that cue From God. As a matter of fact, anyone that you've ever experienced that exhibited compassion to you, they got that from God. And His invitation to us and His call to us is that we exhibit and extend His compassion to others just as He has brought it to us. And so how does one do that? He says, fear the Lord. In verse 17, you extend his compassion when you fear the Lord. And as we said often in here, that's not a fearing of the Lord. That's like cowering and hiding and uh, uh, suspecting that he might uh, have ill will in your direction. But rather, it's a fear that's like reverence. Respect. All. He says, when you begin to behold who I am. When you see me for who I am. When you experience me for who I am. Out of that. Extend my compassion. Then he said in the second place. You'll do that by keeping covenant. Now. Now. In the centuries that followed this psalm, God replaced the first covenant with a second covenant, with a new covenant. We're going to celebrate that covenant today with the Lord's Supper. That covenant was provided for us and sealed for us by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. That covenant is basically this, and we reviewed it a few weeks ago from Hebrews chapter 8, where God said, I will be your God, you will be my people. I will place within you my word. I'll write it on your heart. I'll emblazon it upon your mind. You will know who I am and what I want, and you'll have the desire to do those things I ask you to do. And I will forgive your sins and your iniquities. That's what it means to be in covenant with Him. So the psalmist says, Because you revere Him, And you know and experience this covenant with Him, be people of compassion. And then in the third place, He says this will happen because you're in obedience to Him. Because you see, when God puts His will, His way, His word in you, writes it on the heart, fills your mind, He's giving you little promptings, directings, callings, wooings, whatever you want to say, stirrings. So that you at any given point become His body. You become His feet. You become His hands. You become His mouth. You become His eyes. So that you can walk to people, touch people, help people, speak to people, see people as He does. Full of compassion. Now, that happens in such a way... That we're able to join the psalmist and say, bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless him with all that is within me. Because you see, it's never sufficient in the scriptures to bless or praise the Lord with lips only. In fact, Matthew fifteen eight, Jesus said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. It's never acceptable to praise, to honor, to bless the Lord with lips only. It must be with all of our soul, with all of our being. Otherwise, it's hypocritical. And he said uh, in Psalm 103, in all of those verses, you bless him with all your soul when you become a person of compassion who extends that compassion of God to other people. Jesus in Matthew 14, 14 went ashore after he'd been in a little boat trip and he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. You get that picture? Jesus in the boat coming across the lake and as he's coming across the lake, he sees a crowd of people anticipating and looking for his arrival. Now, no kidding, sometimes my proclivity, sometimes my heartbeat at that point is, Oh, no. Stop the boat. Send it down that way. Turn it around. Reverse sails. Whatever. But what we see here in this text, and, and these are not necessarily followers of Jesus. These are not people that have bowed the knee to Jesus. These are not people that have full devotion to Jesus. These are just needy people. And what we see is that Jesus moved toward Jesus the need not toward his own comfort not toward his own preferences and such as that and so as long as I have breath as long as we are in this world we will not rest we will not cease to pursue after the will and the ways of Christ in the extending of his compassion until life in this world is no more. That's, that's what that is all about. Moving toward need. And not toward our own comfort and toward our own preferences. Jesus is our model. He moved toward a Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. You know, peculiarly in that text when Jesus was having to take a trip north And as we've said in here often, most Jews would never go through Samaria. They would take a longer route and go around Samaria because Samaritans were so despised. The text said Jesus must go through Samaria. It was on his heart to be able to have some connection with some needy people in Samaria. And he ran into the woman at the well who had been looking for love in all the wrong places. And he was able to have a loving and gentle confrontation with her heart. And she came alive to God as a result of that. In John chapter 5, just turning the page in that gospel, Jesus goes to this pool in the city of Jerusalem that was notorious. It was known for a place where all kinds of sick people would go and gather. And Jesus could have gone anywhere in the city he wanted to. A lot of people avoided that pool area because it was just covered with sick people. But he had to go to that pool and see the multitude of the sick. In John chapter 9, he's going to the temple for a time of worship and prayer. And he passes by a man who was born blind, who's on the side of the road begging. How many times had uh, disciples and other people passed this guy up who was out there, you know, alms for the blind, alms for the poor, asking and begging for money? But on this occasion, Jesus stops and he looks at this guy. And he takes steps to healing. And then in John chapter 11, as we just survey through the gospel, we see that Jesus goes to two grieving sisters who have just lost their brother Lazarus. He died. Now, Jesus knows why he's going there. You know the story. He's going to do a miracle. He's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. But first he goes to the grieving sisters. And he touches their lives and he grieves with them. And the text says Jesus wept. And he knows what he's about to do. But he also knows the state of their heart and the state of their being. And He comes alongside of them with comfort and compassion. And then in Luke 19, as Jesus is making His way through Jericho, and He beholds the town reject, the person everybody in town hated and despised, a little tax collector guy named Zacchaeus who's up in a tree watching Jesus' little processional going through town. He stops under the tree. He calls the guy by name. And says, I want to go home with you today. Can you imagine the perplexity that brought to all the other onlookers who couldn't stand that guy? Who had ripped them all off with taxes. But Jesus wants to extend the compassion of God to this guy. And then later in Luke 19, as he comes to the city of Jerusalem... And this is just before he enters the city on Palm Sunday and this great triumphant entry and all that. He's on the hillside, he's overlooking the city, and he understands, he comprehends in the moment how many in this great city, religious city, are disconnected from the Father. Don't really have connection, life, and the Father. And it says as he's on the outskirts of the city looking in, he begins to weep over the lostness of the city. That's just a quick survey through the Gospels of some of those little snapshots of Jesus' heart and Jesus' compassion for people. The kind of thing he's calling for you and for me. So what do we learn from Jesus' movement As he's moving toward need, not toward his own comfort. What do we learn from all that? Well, we first of all learn that Jesus cares for people as God directs him. Now, if we were to take the time to look at John chapter 5 and verse 19, what we would discover is this Jesus said, I simply go and I simply do what I sense the Father directing me to do. So, In chapter 5, where he goes to the pool where all the sick people are, he only goes to one guy. A guy who is lame and an invalid, been that way for 38 years. He only goes to the one guy. And he offers healing to the one guy. And the guy gets up and he walks after he hadn't walked for 38 years. Now, there's still sick people all over the place. and It wasn't like he didn't care about them or for them, but he was following the cue of his father. And his father said, for for purposes that I'm up to, I want you to extend compassion to this guy. In John chapter 11, when he goes to the tomb and he raises Lazarus from the dead, Lazarus is the only guy he calls forth from the dead. Now, there were a lot of other dead people around. But he was only following the directing, the prompting, the cue from his father at that point. I could go on and on and on. We are swamped with needs, All around us. And we certainly don't have the capacity for compassion and caring like Jesus did. But we do have the capacity to get cues from our Father. To get stirrings. To get promptings. To get leadings from Him. To which we can respond with fear and reverence. Out of our covenant relationship with Him via obedience. Obedience. Just as the psalmist told us. And so Jesus cared for people as God directed him. The question is, will we care for people as God directs? Secondly, Jesus cared for people without partiality. Earlier, when we saw that he got out of the boat, he was going to all kinds of he didn't make any distinction between the people that were in the crowd. There were some followers, there's some non followers, there's some men, there were some women. Perhaps there were different ethnicities, different races. And he went to them all. He made no distinction. This was something that God dealt seriously with the apostle Peter about, and you'll read about that in Acts chapter 10. Won't get into the whole story, but the short of it was this. God was trying to bring a Gentile uh, government soldier type guy to faith because his heart was soft to faith and so he sees peter over here and he begins to stir peter and deal in peter's life and speak into peter's life so that at the right moment when this guy is here and peter is here peter is open to extending grace and compassion to somebody that he wouldn't have given the time of day to the day before Because God shows no partiality. Doesn't matter about gender, ethnicity, economic status, uh, race, no partiality. And then third, notice that Jesus cares for people knowing that some will not follow God. In other words, the compassion of God is not extended with strings attached that say... Now, you can get more of God's compassion if you'll be a Christ follower. He'll meet more of your needs. He'll answer more of your prayers. Uh, You'll be able to have another meal on your table, whatever, if you will confess Christ. He doesn't do that. People just matter to Him. And so He just seeks to bless and to care and to extend compassion as the Father directs. To whomever, without partiality. So, this is how the psalmist articulated it in Psalm 82, verses 3 and 4. And as I did with the reading earlier, if you see the truth and the reality of each verse... I'll uh, invite you to respond appropriately with an amen. Give justice to the poor and orphan. If you're confused, that's all right. Here's another verse. (laughs) Uphold the rights of the oppressed and the destitute. Rescue the poor and the helpless. So I take by your amens that you understand it to be Scripture, holy divinely inspired, instruction for our lives. And so I'm going to now invite you to personalize that verse. And this is not for us to play with. As I said at the beginning, I could not be more serious today. To personalize it with, I will. And so if you would do the entire psalm with me in unison, out loud, because it is your commitment today And I'm going to ask you to do this with me. You go, but I don't know how that plays out this afternoon. Or I don't know what the implication of that will be for tomorrow. That's okay. We're not saying, yes, I will do this or that to things that we know about that fit our comfort zone, that fit our preferences or anything else. This is a response to God's sovereignty over us. And if you're prepared to say a yes to whatever God's up to with me, then uh, state this psalm together. I will give justice to the poor and orphan. I will uphold the rights of the oppressed and the destitute. I will rescue the poor and the helpless. And so as we read a moment ago, God's not looking for that just with our lips. He's looking for that with our soul, with our entire being, with our life. Who? Who might this involve? Well, certainly the poor were mentioned in the psalm. The poor and those who suffer from injustice. So the poor include a lot of different people. The poor include those who have little. And we already have involvements with those who are under resourced or underemployed or unemployed. And we have some uh, uh, gestures that we extend to them already with some regularity and some meals and whatever. Most of you know that Judy heads up a lot of that effort. And so maybe God is stirring you, even in this moment, about current efforts that we have or maybe there's something new that's popping into your mind about the poor who have little but it's also the case that God has placed us on the east side of Seattle and particularly in the greater Redmond area which is one of the more affluent areas not just in Washington but across America and the fact of the matter is it doesn't matter what your bank account says if you are without Christ you're poor you are busted in poverty And so we're also to care for the poor who have much. And I'll never forget when, uh, you know, 21 years, 22 years ago, when I was getting ready to plant this church, I was on a tour across the South casting vision for this church that we were going to start out here. And I basically was asking for their financial help. Would you help me start a church in the Northwest, in the greater Seattle area, for those that are without Christ? And I began to share with them the demographics of the Redmond area. Now this was in areas across the South whose economy was significantly lower than our economy. and so when I started talking about education and and uh, what the households were like and the job opportunities and the income levels and all that kind of stuff, uh, you know I would get to the end of my presentation and I would have a little q and A and one person held up their hand, and I called on them and they said. Well, Pastor, it sounds like to me you want us to give you money so you can go and take care of rich people. And I said, Yep. That's kind of it. And that head began to shake and, like, there ain't no way I'm giving my money to that. See, without partiality, without respect to gender, to race, to ethnicity, to economic status. Whether you're on the low end or the high end, we're poor if we don't have the riches of Christ in our heart. And then the poor who are strangers, that is to say, they're new to this area, maybe they come from a different uh, nation or people group, uh, the uh, rituals of our area the cultural uh, pieces of our area, the language of our area, all these things are strange. And they're impoverished with, that, with um, the, the lack of capacity to fully engage this area for all it can mean to them. And so we care about them. We extend compassion to them. And of course, our ESL uh, program is one of those opportunities, and the discount store is one of those opportunities, some other things that we do. Who are the poor? That God is stirring you about being responsive to. And then some of the poor that we have are are just busted, broken people. It's not an economic reference. It's a heart reference. They're into habits. They're into behaviors. They're into patterns and cycles of life that are just destroying them. And so we engage in recovery type ministries and acts of compassion. And Celebrate Recovery is the primary piece that we we do with that. So that's some of the who. The how. Will you have your heart broken? Bob Pierce, the founder of World Vision prayed this prayer Regularly, if not every day of his life, God, break my heart with the things that break your heart. Would you pray that prayer? Would you walk and live with the heart of God like that? Will you volunteer your time? I heard the groan. I know. We overextend and overspend our time. To say yes to this, yes, I'll give of my time, is to say no, I won't spend my time in some other ways. You can't say yes to this without saying no to some other things. Will you engage your social network? Listen, whether or not somebody else is a follower of Christ or wants to extend the the compassion of Christ or not, they can partner with you and partner with us in extending compassion. There's a lot of people that just get turned on by doing compassionate things, whether or not they are compassionate people. And so let's involve them in some of the things that we're doing to care for various groups of poor. Will you discover your gifts? Because God has done something unique with you. He has given you a divine endowment of some sort that is a matter of your stewardship to Him. You want to discover that, develop that, use that in ways that bless Him, bless others. So here it is, friends. Compassion is not an option for Christ followers. Compassion is an essential to Christ followers. It's who He is. And when we engage and have a relationship with Him, it's who He makes us to be. And so as He works compassion in us, we partner with Him by working compassion out of us. And in just a moment, we're going to celebrate His compassion with the receiving of the Lord's Supper. You don't want to do that under false pretenses. So I'm going to ask for us to have a moment of silence. You might want to bow your head and close your eyes and just be prayerful for just a moment. God, what are the issues? Where's the inner turmoil and conflict? Where do I struggle with obedience? What is it that You're doing with my self-centeredness and my selfishness? Who are the people? What are the circumstances that you're stirring me to be compassionate toward? Father, have your way as we seek to bless you with all our soul. Amen. So as you know, the connection card is a worship tool. And I would encourage you as you take today seriously, that you etch something on the back side of there to say, I'm going to be a man, I'm going to be a woman of compassion. I'm going to allow God to bring His compassion through me to others. And if you can get specific, say, and it'll be in this way. It'll be with this group of people. It'll be through this project, through this event, through this experience, whatever. If you can't get that specific or if you need some help about that, say, talk to me about this. Follow up with me about it. Just indicate that. But this is unto the Lord. This is a commitment to Him. This isn't responding to me. It's also the time that we will receive tithes and offerings. Our ushers will come. Lord, thank you for your good gifts to us. We give now to you. In Jesus' name, amen. going to invite you now to participate in the Lord's Supper. A couple of words of instruction for you. We're admonished by Scripture to never receive of the elements of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. That is to say, if there's some conflict between ourselves and God, if there's some area of disobedience and dishonor to Him that's going on in our lives, then uh, don't. Add to the dishonor by receiving these elements today. Take a pass. But if you're uh, with us in a forgiven place and you're squared up and you're reconciled with the Lord, then this is an important experience for you. To commemorate what He has done for you, as well as to celebrate what He will continue to do through you. And so if uh, you're a follower of Christ... And your heart is squared up with Him today. We invite you to receive these elements. I'm going to ask those that are helping me serve today, come and join me. While they come, allow me to give one other word to you. We're going to serve you the bread first. We're going to ask that you receive the bread and hold it until everyone has been served. And then uh, we will receive all at the same time. And then later we will send uh, the tray of cup. By your way, and if you again, you'll just hold on to that until everyone has been served, then we'll receive that together.
1: faithful. Lord, we remain saved.
0: our Lord was betrayed, He took bread and He blessed it. And He broke it. And out of a heart of compassion said, This is my body for you. Take, eat, remember me. Amen.
1: Our leads to We respond to Your invitation. We respond.
0: that same night in which our Lord was betrayed, He took the cup and He said, This is My blood shed for you, for the forgiveness of your sins. It's My blood for a new covenant. Take, drink, remember Me.
1: Amen. Amen. Stand in reverence and in awe of the gift that He just gave us. Singing together, Lord, make my life a bridge. crucified on an altar between two candles, but on a cross between two thieves in the marketplace where he poured out his compassion on the streets. We are privileged and invited to join him in doing that very thing in compassion this week. So as you go this week, as Christ authorized representatives, bridge builders to God, go asking the question. Whom is God inviting me to serve in mission this very week? And so asking, you are dismissed.